Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on week one of Vision Month. jump in today as Jahan has already alluded to several times today is our first Sunday of vision month our vision at Redemption Life Church is to love God love people and live truth Uh, we went through a study about a year ago as a staff I had done it before on my own in study I don't know if I did it in school at Lee or or just over the years uh, on staff at churches but Really, we went through a, a, a study called Simple Church, and it really reiterated my personal convictions and helped me contextualize what was in my heart, and that is to make it simple, stupid. You know what I'm saying? Not so complicated. I don't need a five-page vision statement that you can't figure out, okay? And so Habakkuk 2 and 2 says, the Lord says to record the vision, inscribe it on tablets that the one who reads it may run. The message translation of that is, write this, write what you see, write it out, put it, oh, he's got the verse there so he can't see it. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. Now throw that one back up, if you will, the, the, video, the, the title slide. So we tried to make it in big box letters and even tried to take it a step farther and make stick figures, okay? So if you can't read the big block letters, then just look at the stick figures, okay? We communicate. Why? No, it's a, it's a love God. This is our worship pose. Anybody ever seen Tim Hawkins' thing about worship? You know, this, 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 you know, great. Anyways. <laughs> This is ours, okay? We're a spirit-filled church, so we do ours real big, okay? Uh, so this is, this is our love God pose, okay? It's real complicated. Our love people is us embracing others, okay? And then living truth is us taking what's in the Word of God and living that in a way that serves our homes, our church, and our workplaces, in our schools, whatever we have to do, whatever our hands find to do. And so we believe that the church is a microcosm of the world. And so we can practice serving others here. We can't legislate or try to help you and facilitate you to serve every area of your life. But if you can get the taste of serving others here, we believe it will impact how you serve people everywhere. And so we feel that that's our responsibility. So with all that being said, uh, to have a simple church and keeping it simple, we want to stay focused. Man, you guys smell that already? There's a reason for that. Smell that? Who doesn't smell that? Y'all smell that even in the back? Y'all can't smell it in the back? It'll get there. It'll get there. So we want to... uh, We want to facilitate this simple vision. We believe if we make disciples, if we make disciples that love God, love people, and live truth, we will be doing a great work. We believe we'll be doing a great work. And we believe if we can really raise up disciples that love God, love people, and live truth, that it's going to permeate every area of their life. And they're going to walk in victory, and they're going to walk in fulfillment. You believe that? And so we, uh, so we call on everyone that would like to partner with us to agree with us and walk with us in this. And so 
I want to jump into love God today. That's where we're going to focus. Next week will be love people. The next week, live truth. But when we look at loving God, if you look at Luke 10, 25, and a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he, answered, and he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. I love in parentheses in the NASB, enjoy active, blessed, endless life in the kingdom of God. I'm up for that. Anybody up for that? And so I want that in my life. So love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself. So there we go. I think our vision is scriptural according to Christ, right? What's most important, what we're supposed to do. So I think first two, we're in a good shape on where God would have us to be and lead us to be. But the thing is, when we talk about loving God, many people's stance is that we need to make people love God enough. We need to point out everything in their life that does not uh, portray a love for God, show them how wrong it is, and tell them if they don't stop doing that and prove they love God, they're going to hell. That is not the approach that we want to take as a body. And so we know that, uh, look at 1 John 2, 15 through 17. I remember one time my kids and I were watching a, a show and this person, you could just tell and everything that the person said and everything that they did, you could just see this just, uh, I say it like this, raging against everything. I mean, it was just this self loathing demonstration. And I don't even want to point out any of the certain manifestations that the person was walking in because those things alone I don't hold as wrong. So if I start naming them, you're going to say, oh, he's preaching against this. He's preaching against this. I'm not. But it's the attitude and the just the clear disdain that this person had for just life itself. And my kids said, man, they don't, that person doesn't love God. And Johanna and I quickly interrupted and said, no, that person doesn't know how much God loves them. And so we don't need to tell the world, you don't love God, you don't love God. See, look what you did. You don't love God. And I do, look at me. We need to tell the world, you don't know how much God loves you. So amazing. When Johanna was talking about that peace being, and she got pretty aggressive. And it's so crazy because I was just sitting there thinking, as soon as she tells me I can come up there, I'm going to get up there and say, I don't know about anybody else, but when I talk about peace, I don't think about, you know, this really sweet swaying thing. I think about this force that busts through doors and just comes up and says, the kingdom is here. Rest. We have opportunities on a daily, weekly basis. I look at my week this week. I had so many opportunities to come into impossible situations and devastating situations and situations where people felt like they were so far removed from God. But we can be the carriers of his presence. And we bust in and we say, hey, you're not, you're not so far from him. 
The kingdom is at hand for you just like it's at hand for me, and you're not so far from him. It's his intention to meet with you here. We're supposed to come into every situation and bring life and bring hope and bring peace and tell people they can rise up from the ashes. We've so many times came up and just tried to kick the ashes over people instead of tell people you can get up. You can come out of this. And so we want to be a body. We want to be a people. I want to be a man. I want to be a family that constantly is telling people that they can come out of where they are and extend the mercy of God to them, his refusal to leave them where they are. Uh, 1 John 2, 15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Now, I love this verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I believe that if anyone turns to the things of the world to find their place of worth, their place of security, their affections towards the things of the world, it's because of a place in them that is not full of the love of God. Not they didn't choose to love God enough. Guys, do you understand that if our future is laid out by our ability to choose to love God enough, we're all in trouble? Our future is laid out by his decision to love us enough to pay the ultimate price so that no matter where we are, we can come out of that place and be with him. And so it's because of his love in us that drives out the desire for anything else. People need to be full of the love of God. And in the absence of that love of God, they turn to other things. Now, people set up resistance to the love of God in their life through misconceptions about who he is. Oh, he only wants to harm me. He only wants to wait on me to fail and then beat me over the head. And so they try to avoid him because they've been deceived. Their minds have been blinded and they don't see the glorious light and the redemption of the gospel. And so they've been blinded and they hold back from him. And it's our job to show them how good, how loving, how amazing he is. For too long, we've thought it's our job to tell everybody how bad they are. It's our job to tell everybody how good he is. Because in, in, in comparison to how good he is, it don't matter how bad they are. If any man, woman, boy or go- girl can get a revelation about how good God is, how bad they are can disappear. You know, in Luke 7, I think I'm just going to paraphrase this for a sake of time. But in Luke 7, beginning in verse 36 through 48, if you're taking notes, you can go back and read it a little more extensively later. But there's a woman who begins to wash Jesus' feet with her tears and wiping them with her hair. And she poured out a a costly perfume. 
And the people that were with Jesus said, man, if this were really a prophet and he knew who was touching his feet right now, he would not have any part of that. Because yeah. she's dirty and she's unclean and she should not be approaching him in that way. Are we scared for God sometimes? <laughs> who are we afraid for when people come into this place? or other houses where we worship God and we're so concerned about whether or not they can be there or not. Who are we afraid for? Don't be afraid for him. No one's going to touch him and make him unclean. But if only we can usher people into his presence and they can touch him, they'll be made whole. So she's washing his feet. And Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, tells them a parable about two men who were forgiven debts, and one was forgiven a much greater debt than the other. And he says, which one do you think will love me more? The one who's been forgiven a greater debt. Sometimes we look down on people who maybe have a greater debt. But the point is, 1 John 4, 9 says, we love because he first loved us. And this is a foundational statement for me, and I say it all the time, and it's where this love God principle comes from to us and how we approach it. Our passion and love for God will be directly proportionate to our revelation of his passion and his love for us. We will love him, we will worship him, we will commit our life to him to the measure that we understand what he's done for us. And the adversary of our soul is constantly trying to keep us from seeing that. And our job is to illuminate the goodness of God to all those we come in contact with. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no vision. The Amplified Version says, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. But he who keeps the law of God, which includes that of man, blessed, happy, fortunate, and enviable is he. Where there is no vision, where there's no redemptive revelation of God, people perish. If we're telling people constantly how wrong they are, how bad they are, everything that they're doing, and how far removed God is from them, and how much he hates them and their sin, then that is removing from them any vision of the redemption of God. Yeah. And then they perish. We are the redemptive revelation of God. It was Jesus. He was manifest through Jesus, and now it's manifest through us. And we should be a walking revelation of the redemption of God to those around us. Yes. For this reason, we strive to arrange a meeting time that facilitates this encounter with God. I like to think of it as a blind date. When people come into here not knowing what to expect, having all these ideas about who they're going to encounter and who they're going to engage, they don't know who it is. They've heard stories about God. I love the song, um, Good, Good Father. It says, I've heard 
what is it, a thousand stories of who men say that you are. There's people that are going to come into this place that are going to have all kinds of ideas about who God is. They're going to have all kinds of misconceptions. They're going to think he hates them. They're going to think he's ready to kill them. They're going to think that if they come into a church, they're going to drop dead, some of them. And they're supposed to come in here to that blind date, and we want to facilitate that to set the stage of them meeting the beautiful Savior that we know he is. I mean, you can park your own car. Does everybody here know how to park a car? But we want to begin to dismantle some of those ideas that church is about taking from someone. That, man, i got to get in church because somebody told me if I don't get in church, I'm going to die. So I've got to do all these obligations, and I've got to go, and I've got to do all these sacrifices. We want people to show up and say, wait a minute. There's somebody, like, waiting here to serve me. Help me park my car. Help me get into the building. Walk me with an umbrella. See, he is here waiting on them. And all we are is like Marshall, who so graciously has helped serve today. We are people who help usher this arrangement, this date, this encounter. And so how they perceive him to be, anybody ever been on a blind date before? Throw my picture up. If you walk into a blind date like this, And your date is running a few minutes late. But he called this his house. And where he resides and where he meets with people. This is his go-to place to meet with people. Or her go-to place to meet with you. This is my favorite spot. I come here every Sunday. And I love everybody there. Come there and meet me there. Is that not what we're saying about this place? Nothing sacred about a building or walls, but when we come together, we say this is a place where you can encounter God. We're going to believe that he's going to meet us here. And when they come in, and in essence, they find this. You would go, you would leave before he showed up or she showed up, wouldn't you? Be like, dear Lord, I'm getting out of here quick. Now, you don't know, but it could be the most amazing date. It could be Prince Charming or Princess Cinderella, whatever. The, <laughs> what do you say for princess, whatever. Most beautiful princess ever. It could have been the perfect one that shows up in the midst of all this, just waiting to come out of it. But you're never going to give them a chance because of the surroundings. I believe before we ever sing the first note, I believe before we ever do a wonderful sermon, I believe before we do any of that stuff, that people are already turning their heart to him or turning their heart away from him based on how they're received by you. Based on how they pull into the parking lot. Based on if we make them park in gravel that they sink in, which, so sorry for that. Did not go as planned this week. We'll keep working on that. But based on how they're received, I love this bottom picture down here. See the little mug? Anybody ever got a mug with lipstick on it? Yeah. 
Unless it's my wife's, I just, you know, just lick it out. <laughs> yeah, that's disgusting. Y'all never, like, touch mouse or anything, I know. But man, that just, I was looking at all these nasty pictures, but that one really just, just really stuck out to me and had to throw it in this collage because that to me is one of the greatest examples to me of church being done wrong. Because what they're handed is leftovers of what you took and this all becomes about you with no thought about them. If you want to drink it, you can drink the cup with my lipstick on it, but primarily this is my seat. Primarily this is my spot. Primarily this is my style. I'm not able to change style. I'm not able to, you know, I can't handle him being all wearing that toboggan up there and stuff. (laughs) It's my style, and it's what suits me, and everybody else can drink out of my cup with my lipstick on it. Instead of, here's a brand new cup for you, I'll just take whatever's left. See, there's this thing going on right now, and this is kind of off topic, and he's waiting on me back there with more stuff, but just hold on, my friend. I've been seeing this thing going around lately where, you know, there's always these really spiritual ideas, and there's a new spiritual ideal every week, you know, that's more spiritual than the last week's spiritual idea. You know what I mean? And so this thing now is that the new enlightenment for pastors is to realize that we don't minister to people, but we minister unto God. I understand the whole idea of that. Priests minister unto God, not the people. But Scripture says, how can you love God who you haven't seen if you can't love man who you do see? Jesus said, my bread, what I eat, is to do the will of my Father, which just so happened to be loving people. So how did he minister to the Father? He ministered to the Father through loving people. So I think if we're not careful so many times, our ministering to the Father leaves everybody else a cup of lipstick on it. Y'all get in where you can fit in, but I'm just here soaking Ministering to him is ministering to people. We have to realize that. Psalms 22 and 3. Let me, let me, before I move on to that, Marshall, will you come on out and serve the main course? What you've been smelling is we went ahead and prepared the main course in this room over here so you could get the aroma of it being prepared. And that's really what it's supposed to be like. I told, uh, mm. thank you, sir. It is a beautiful, yeah, we could do that. Just put that lid under it and let it sit up there on the bo- under the plate. Yeah, make a prop. There you go. There you go. 
There you go. Maybe it'll stay and maybe it won't. We'll see. Probably not. That was a new idea. I just sprung on him. <laughs> and he's a perfectionist. We're here to serve. I know this isn't Serve Sunday. This isn't Live Truth Sunday. But you can't love God without serving people. And we can't usher people into a loving God and an encounter with Him to, that disarms all their opposition to Him without being people who show God's heart for them through serving them with excellence. Thank you, Marshall, so much. Isn't he do a wonderful job? Doesn't he look sharp? He flew all the way in from California to do that for us today. He's been in California. His brother passed, and they had funeral this week and everything, but uh, made it back to, to do that for us. Psalm 22 and 3 says, You are holy. You are enthroned upon the praises of your people. The message says, Leaning back on the cushions of Israel's praise. So, can you just get the picture? We try to facilitate the logistics to communicate God's value he places on every human. If someone invited you to a blind date and it looked like those pictures that we had earlier, what kind of value would that communicate to you? When we're introducing people to the lover of their soul, when we're introducing people to a father who would give up his son for them, when we're introducing them to love itself, how can we do it in a way that isn't ushering them into just the most excellent atmosphere and setting? Yeah. If you came into a place, you would not receive much value. But if you come into this, it could be like Beauty and the Beast. Some of you be having thoughts like, now that is not the person that I was hoping for, but I'm going to finish this meal. <laughs> I'm going to listen to what they have to say. I'm going to see maybe if they've got a good personality. <laughs> I'm going to see, you know, I'm just going to give them a chance to at least win my heart because I really like this experience and this atmosphere. We want people just to give him a shot. We want people just to hang on for a few minutes in his presence and give him the opportunity in this atmosphere to tear down walls and strongholds. It's our responsibility. Jesus went out of his way in John chapter 4. It's not just about building here, but he goes out of his way to encounter a woman to let her know that she doesn't have to worship this way and doesn't have to worship this way and doesn't have to worship this way, but she can worship him in spirit and truth. And he came to her and met her where she was. Think about that. She didn't have to go on the mountain where she thought she had to go. And she didn't have to go over here where she thought she had to go. He came to her. And we should be bringing his presence to those around us. This isn't just a mantra for the church. This should be a mantra for our life. How can we cause the people around us to fall in love with God? You don't have to worry about telling them what they're doing wrong if they fall in love with God. They'll have no love for anything else in the world if they're full of his love. Our responsibility is to, our responsibility is to 
bring them into this encounter with him and he will win their heart. You know, we need to have thriving children's ministry. Anybody ever have a good date that has kids and you didn't know where your kids were? My wife, my goodness, we can't go on a date without checking on the kids 57 times. Can we really expect people to come into an encounter with God if they're constantly concerned about where their kids are? We have to take, try to remove all concern and care they have about where their kids are. And that's by putting great value on their kids, making it easily accessible. When they walk in, they need to be able to say, wow, this was easy. They really care about my kids. Wow, this was amazing. They really care. And, man, they really want to take a load off me. They helped me park. They took my kids. They did all this stuff. This is really nice. These great smiling faces. I got full confidence in my kids. I'm going to go in here and see what it's like in this other room. Wow, they're really, these people are nice in this room. I want to see what's coming up next. Oh, wow, that worship was pretty cool. I'm going to see what's coming up next. We're going to keep just seeing what's coming up next until they just fall in love. We want to disarm. They make fun of me because I use too much verbiage. But I like words too much not to use all of them. So I say it like this. Number one, we strive to arrange logistics to facilitate God encounters, blind dates. Number two, we seek to methodically disarm, dismantle, crush, destroy, pulverize, and remove every pretense that prevents or hinders intimate, unhidden, deep connection with the one true living God. 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Let's look at that in the message. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. We don't live in or fight our battles in that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation. Man, some people need to hear that. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. There are so many things through philosophies and ideologies and, and just corrupt systems that have totally attempted to reshape who God is. When you say, 
love God, there's a million different interpretations of what that would look like. And a lot of them are not good. If you haven't noticed, there's this whole shaping of what it means. And what's crazy is the world is painting it one way and the church is not doing much to disarm that idea. The more the world tries to paint us as hate mongers and ambassadors of an angry God, the more we dig in and fight harder to defend our cause and our beliefs. And we try to broaden the gap between us and them instead of winning them over to the heart of God. If we broaden the gap and make sure everyone knows how right we are and how wrong they are, what have we actually accomplished? What we're supposed to be doing is, no matter how wrong they are and no matter how right we are, we're supposed to be trying to get them and go with them into all truth together. Second Corinthians 11.3, But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and pure purity of devotion to Christ. Simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Look at Colossians 2. 8. I'm going to read this. I was going to read a couple of translations, but for time I'm just going to read it from one. Let's go from the message. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words and intellectual double talk. They want to drag you off in endless arguments that never amount to anything. They spread their ideas through the empty, empty traditions of human beings and the empty superstitions of spirit beings. But that's not the way of Christ. Everything of God gets expressed in him so you can see and hear him clearly. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to realize the fullness of Christ and the emptiness of the universe without him. When you come to him, that fullness comes together for you too. His power extends over everything. Look at verse 15. When we talk about, I would that your minds not be led astray as the, the serpent deceived Eve. Look at verse 15. This is what Christ did. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. So all these ideas and all these things and these philosophies and the ideologies and the methodologies and all this stuff that tries to put us in this place and really it just tries to separate us from God. Right. We're, trying to, we're trying to just prove how set apart we are and how different we are instead of trying our best to go and get as many people as we can to join us in his love. This is the one that sometimes gets me in trouble. So we want to facilitate 
logistics and we want to make this blind date happen and we want to disarm all these ideas and we want to do our best to, to completely uh, destroy some of the thoughts people have. I just, for some reason, I love watching westerns and I see that piece busting through saloon doors and I just keep seeing us busting through saloon doors in some of the most depraved environments and just busting in and say, hey, there's a new sheriff in town and he's not a sheriff that's coming here to tell all you guys you're going to jail, but he's coming here to say, hey, I got a new idea for a better life. I'm going to tell you about a chance and a hope and an opportunity and a place that's secured for you so that we'll make this pale in comparison. And everybody will want to line up and follow me out of here today. It's a totally different way to shut down a saloon. There's a big argument here recently about whether or not churches can be next to bars. And a lot of the churches were trying to pass ordinances uh, and stand with that, the, the rule that bars can't come close to churches. I understand the reasoning behind that. That's wonderful. We actually left our first storefront church because there was a bar coming in and uh, that ordinance was in place at that time. So our landlord was just like, they're paying a whole lot more than y'all are. <laughs> so I need y'all to, your lease is up. So we said, that's fine, whatever. But if they hadn't told us our lease is up, we would have stayed right there next to the bar. Been just fine. If we pass those ordinances, then that means it doesn't just mean bars can't go by churches. It means churches can't go by bars. I don't want to be told where we can put a church. I don't want to be told how far away we have to stay away so we don't want to affect their business. We're not afraid of bars. We're not afraid of people that may walk in darkness. We're not afraid of those situations and those circumstances. RLC, under the leadership of Michael and Jahan Cox, will unashamedly promote, challenge, compel, and even dare connection at a spirit, heart, soul, emotion, and body level. If you sometimes say, why don't y'all chill out, we probably won't. You sometimes say, why are you always trying to push us to a deeper place? We probably always will. It's in our vision statement. You know, you know what you're signing up for. But we believe that you need to be compelled and pushed. Jahan's always daring us to go to places of deeper worship and surrender and engage our emotions and our will and our bodies even. Why do we got to engage our bodies, Will? You'll know when you try it. <laughs> You'll know when you try it. You'll know how freeing it can be to just surrender that, you know. Uh, I say that money is one of the greatest strongholds that is, is just such a great act of faith when we lay money down. But also, and I'm not, you guys all have in your mind right now what I'm talking about when I say engaging your bodies. And you're all probably wrong. Because I don't have any specific thing in my mind. I don't just have what she just said. When you say hallelujah, that's a hallel, and that's an out-of-control thing. And so I'm not sitting here saying everybody has to worship a certain way. That's not what I'm talking about. 
I'm talking about any act of obedience that we do that we actually engage physically our body and our life and some action into it instead of just what we say and what we think and what we declare. But we actually make our body obedient. I'm talking about fasting. I'm talking about sacrifice. I'm talking about any time that we let the will of God supersede the desire of the flesh. Whatever that act of obedience looks like to you, we're going to constantly try to compel you to engage that because there's a place of breakthrough and freedom in that and an expression of our love back to God for the love he expressed to us that is unparalleled. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't just come to the earth and say, bless you, I love you, be free. But he took his body and he put his body in it. And when we respond to him, we're supposed to take our body and put our body into it. And so we're going to compel you to do that, challenge you to do that. Romans 12, man, we read this all the time. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. James 1, 14 and 15 says this, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. I was reading this one day, and I just thought, man, if that's the process of temptation, and that's the process of lust, and that's the process of sin, and how that all accomplishes, then there has to be this process of how we respond to the kingdom as well. How do we overcome these temptations that give birth to lust? And just inspire me just to take that and just transition it. And I believe this is potentially for us how we can walk in life. So if we looked at that from a kingdom perspective, but each one is attracted when he is carried away and enticed by God's love. When love has conceived, it gives birth to obedience. And when obedience is accomplished, it brings forth life. Each one is attracted when he is carried away and enticed by God's love instead of lust of the flesh. When love is conceived, instead of lust being conceived, it gives birth to obedience instead of lust giving birth to sin. And when obedience is accomplished, instead of sin being accomplished, it brings forth life instead of bringing forth death. Yes. Isaiah 6, 5 says, Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone and ruined because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isn't it amazing? No one had to tell him how dirty he was, how unclean he was. If we will worship, enthrone him on our praises, 
we set up this atmosphere of this date. And we cause the people to stay because we've set a good atmosphere. We know the Holy Spirit's drawn on. This isn't some man-made thing like we're doing all the work. We know the Holy Spirit's drawn on here. Anything we do, let me make a blanket statement so you can't misquote me. Anything we do is in partnership with the Holy Spirit. We do nothing outside of that. So I'm not saying we do all this. And we, matter of fact, look at uh, Galatians 1, 10. Do you think I speak this strongly in order to manipulate crowds? or curry favor with God, or get popular applause. If my goal was popularity, I wouldn't, be bo- I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't bother being Christ's slave. Know this, I am most empathetic here, friends. This great message I delivered to you is not mere human optimism. I didn't receive, receive it through the traditions, and I wasn't taught it in some school. I got it straight from God, received the message directly from Jesus Christ. We're not in any way trying to manipulate crowds. But we're trying to partner with the Holy Spirit to usher them into his presence, to sit down at the table he prepared for them in the presence of their enemies and their chaos and their struggles. We want to facilitate this, and we cause them to come in. They say most people decide if they're going to enter a church in the first 12 minutes of being there, if they're going to stay there for the whole service or if they're ever going to come back. They've already decided in the first 12 minutes. That means I don't have a lot to do with it because I'm sitting down there for the first 12 minutes, right? And so they're going to decide that, so they come in. And then it says he's enthroned. He's laid back on the cushions of the praises of his people. So it's important. You have a responsibility in this. We have a responsibility to worship, and that ushers in the presence of God. And so we've got them here, and we're trying to make this great uh, uh, atmosphere. And then we invite him in, and his presence comes in and sits down, and the rest is history. They can't look into his eyes and not be changed. They can't look into his eyes and not fall in love. Our job is done. And they fall in love and they love God. And then they begin to pursue all these other things. Man, I want to love people. I love God and I want to love people. And I want to live truth. And I just want to be a disciple. I want to be a follower of him. But it's, we have a responsibility in this. Just like in Isaiah 6, we live our life for him not because we're indebted, but because there's no other reasonable response to an absolute worthy being. We don't live our life for him because we have to. We don't live our life for him because it's the only way to get to heaven. We don't live our life because of any of those reasons. If we do it for those reasons, that's why we hate people that aren't doing it because we think they might get in without doing all the things we're doing. Seriously. If we're trying to pursue the things of God we talked about last week through man's system, we get mad when somebody shortcuts it. Man, they got favor. They didn't have to do all the things I had to do. Well, maybe they went there by faith, and you're still trying to work there through your flesh. And so they took a little shortcut through faith, and you're still like, man, well, how'd they do that? I'm mad. Then we look for fault in them. They're not so clean. Look, they got a little something going on with them. They don't sin like I do, but they got some other sin. John chapter 3, 
I'm going to end with this today. Might paraphrase it. John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, they got concerned because Jesus was baptizing some people. And they were saying, hey, some of your disciples are going over there and letting Jesus baptize them. And so John had to set his disciples straight. In verse 27, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourself are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. Listen to this, verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. So they're saying, John, what's going on? And he said, you guys may have misunderstood this. I tried to explain it to y'all. I'm not the Christ. I came before the Christ. But the friend of the bridegroom who just gets to hear the groom's voice, my joy has been made full and complete. Do you see that picture that John the Baptist was like the best man when Jesus got to marry his bride? John the Baptist was not uh, the Christ, and he made sure that his followers knew that, but he was just the best man. We have a wonderful opportunity to be the best man and the bride. It's pretty cool. It's fulfillment of being the bride and then fulfillment of being the best man and fulfillment of being the bride and fulfillment of being the best man and fulfillment of being the bride and fulfillment of being the best man. We get to constantly be this ultimate place of fulfillment. Man, we should be filled. We should, just like Jesus said to his disciples about the woman at the well, man, I, I've already ate. I, doing the will of my Father is what I eat. Man, we should be so, I hate to use the word addicted, but we should be so hooked on feeding off of, seeing people meet him, come to know him. We should be so hooked on seeing him invade situations. We should be so hooked on, we should be uh, impossible situation hunters. We should be looking for people who think there's no way God could love them, and we should take it as a personal assignment, a personal challenge to just keep on letting them know how much God loves them until we can stand beside one day him as he marries them. And we get to see them change their vows. We should constantly be connecting people to a loving Father. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.